What's up, everybody? What's good, friends? I'm Brandon David. I'm the host of Investing in Cannabis. Uh, if you watch our show normally, you're going to get a little bit different episode today. Normally, we sit down with you know an entrepreneur, a founder, uh, you know an investor, a lawmaker. Today, we're going to do it a little bit differently. So this week, we're going to cover a couple questions. Uh, people ask us questions all the time. We're sort of like this little bit of thought leader in this space right now. Uh, and we get these frequently asked questions. So that's what we're going to do. We asked our friends. Uh, we asked a couple people on Twitter. You know, what are the questions that you want answered uh, by our show? I've done my best to talk to some other people and, and get some uh, a broad range of uh, concepts and of opinions. And, and we're going to kind of talk through some of those. So the first one that I get asked a lot uh, mainly because I work at a company that makes delivery software, is, uh, shout out on Fleet. what's up on Fleet? Uh, mainly is, uh, do we need dispensaries anymore? This is the debate between dispensaries and delivery. Uh, and it's nuanced, it's not so simple, right? Most people would say, hey, I'm busy, uh, I work a full-time job, I want my cannabis at the end of the night, uh, and it's gonna come to my door in 10 minutes. And there's a number of startups that do this, you know them, they're, you know, Meadow and Ease and Harvest and Quill, and the list goes on and on. Honestly, the delivery portion is commoditized at this point. But the options for consumers are fantastic. You can get a wide variety of edibles, smokables, flowers, oils, everything to your door, tinctures, anything you want in honestly 15 minutes in some cases, which is crazy, right? So now I get my cannabis to my door faster than I get my food. Hurry up, Sprig, by the way, I'm talking to you. <laughs> so the question is, do we need dispensaries anymore? Well, if you ask some people, the answer is very much yes because dispensaries is also a source of community. It's a place that you go and you meet with like-minded people. You have a discussion about where cannabis is going, the regulations, the policies. This is pretty powerful. Cannabis is a social uh, product to begin with, right? That's something that we want to do together. The second reason is much more commercial, but also benefits consumers a lot in that you get introduced to new products when you go to dispensary. You're not sure if you like it, but you get to look at it, you get to touch it, you get to feel it. And the end result is you may have a better experience. I think this is particularly true for early patients, for new patients, right? They don't really know what they're looking at, so going on a website and a simple menu and reading uh, titles and looking at pictures, maybe not, not be enough. They need a consultation. And a good bud tender, bartender, but they serve buds, so they're a bud tender. A good bud tender is gonna walk you through that process. Why you're here today, maybe what hurts, what you're trying to accomplish, and, and prescribe something for you, not that they're a doctor, that's gonna be right for you. So if you need to sleep a lot, you need something purple. If you still need to function during the day, if you're just really stressed, uh, you know, maybe you need a nice sativa, you need a blue dream, something like that. The answer between delivery and dispensary really depends on who you are. I mean, for me, delivery makes more sense. I know what I want and I get it pretty consistently. But for you, it may be different. So I encourage you to do both, right? Go to the dispensary. When you're at the dispensary, ask them if they do delivery. If they do delivery, well then order from them next time and you be the judge. The second question uh, is a little more uh, saddening. In San Francisco, I'm fortunate enough that I don't drive at all. I take ride-sharing services. I'm free to smoke or drink or be inebriated in any way that I see fit on a daily basis, right? But there are many people throughout the country that still rely on cars as their main form of transportation. And for them, it's sort of blurring the line, right? People drink and they drive still, unfortunately. Uh, they, they even will get buzzed and drive, which in my opinion is drunk driving. Now the same thing has to be applied to cannabis. 
right? And the question becomes, how much cannabis can you smoke before you're too impaired to drive? This is a really tricky question because we yet have found a system in which to uh, carefully and precisely measure just how high you are at this moment. Basically, if you get tested on the side of the road, it's going to pick up anything that's in your system for the last 30 or 60, or honestly, in my case, probably 10 years. So, so I have no chance of passing a cannabis test, but that doesn't mean that I'm driving under the influence of marijuana, right? And that's an important distinction. Unfortunately, there's a good number of people that are sort of exploiting this hole in the testing uh, environment, and they're still continuing to drive when they're inebriated by cannabis. And I just think this is so wrong, right? This is a black and white issue to me. If we've determined as a generation, and I believe that most millennials believe that drinking and driving is, is wrong and endangers others, why are we so permissive of the fact that people can smoke even the smallest amounts of cannabis and still get behind the wheel. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, I've also heard the argument that, well, cannabis doesn't impair you as much, right? That if you're drunk and you drive, well, you're really fucked up, right? And you really shouldn't be driving. And cannabis really is like a fraction of the inebriation. Bullshit. Driving is dangerous sober. <laughs> Driving is really dangerous. People, more people die in car crashes than they do in airplane crashes and shark attacks and being electrocuted by lightning, all put together and so many other things, facts that I can't quote right now. But the point is, any amount in danger is too much danger. Why are we taking the risk in this area? Ask yourself, the next time you smoke a little bit or you smoked a little bit earlier and you need to drive somewhere, ask yourself if it maybe makes more sense just to you know, use it. The third question that comes up so, so often, uh, a sickening amount, every episode that I do, every person that I encounter on the street, they wanna know, in 2016, when recreational adult use for cannabis is on the ballot for California, let's say it passes. Inevitably, I think it will, fingers crossed. But what happens to the environment? Where do you get cannabis? Are there gonna be Marlboro Greens out there? You know, is this gonna be corporatized? Is this a big, big business? Well, hold on a second, because even if we pass it in 2016, we're probably looking at a decade or 15 years before we're really instituted. If you look at uh, the examples of Colorado and Washington, it took them a year to even like get the laws together. Honestly, it, it it's a pretty long process. Then the follow-up question is, okay, okay, Brandon, but are we gonna have this like in Whole Foods? You know, is this gonna be available on the shelf all the time? And I say probably not. You might see like, you know, some CBD, right? CBD is the non-psychoactive, mostly pain-treating element of, of cannabis. Uh, you might see some like CBD capsules on the shelf, you know, that kind of thing, like pain relief. Uh, but I highly doubt that you're gonna be able to pick up an eighth of green crack at Walmart anytime soon. You know, that's just not, not the way that it's gonna go down. And anybody that has that concern I just want to ease that concern because I, that's going to be a long time. In fact, if anything, if we're talking about adult recreational use, the regulations probably will become more stringent. 
they might remove something like delivery. They might force you to be uh, of a certain higher age, above 21. They they may uh, require that uh, you know you don't have any criminal record. That that sort of thing. It might get harder to access cannabis if it's regulated like that. The same goes for federal regulation as well. I mean, you can expect any regulation, any uh, restrictions that the state of California would institute on cannabis will be t magnified tenfold if we put it on the federal level. I mean, on the federal level, we're probably talking about you getting some really shitty cannabis through your doctor as a, a way to get medicine. Yeah, I think uh, post-2016, cannabis in San Francisco and in California probably doesn't look that different. You gotta be 21, you gotta go into the dispensary, or you have to, you know, get a delivery from a dispensary. And it's kinda all the same. I mean, getting a medical card isn't real hard today. So access isn't the issue. Maybe it comes down more to stigmatization. You can never say that word, stigmatization. I already think that we've kind of removed that in San Francisco. Now, in Barstow, Maybe that's a different story. And we'll see, we'll find out. That's why we play the game, guys. If you have more questions, hit us up. You can find me at b at investingcannabis.tv. My email is always open to you. We're at CannabisPod on Twitter. Same on Instagram. Check us out on YouTube. We have a brand new website, investingincannabis.tv. .tv is kind of, it's kind of snazzy. Thank you again for watching, guys. Your core fans are what make you the greatest. And I do this show for you guys. Until next time, I'm Brandon David. Thanks for watching.